Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast. We interview the top nonprofit fundraisers and marketers in order to provide you with practical insights for increasing generosity. You can learn more by going to virtuouscrm.com. And now, let's turn it over to our host. Hey, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, I am so pleased to have Francis Tao with us. Uh, Francis is the CEO founder of Sawa. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. He's also the former marketing traffic manager at International Justice Mission, an organization that we're huge fans of here. Uh, He's a good friend and he has some amazing insights on marketing and communication and nonprofits. So, uh, hey, Francis, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Sawa, Sawa is your newest deal. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about kind of the Sawa story and, and the problem you guys are trying to solve. Yeah, yeah. Sawa um, is actually a, a Swahili word. Uh, it means no worries. Um, and uh, for the last three years, I've been um, working on a solution to uh, a problem I actually came across. Um, while on the communications team at International Justice Mission. Um, and uh, in brief, it's, it's essentially a solution to um, too many design requests and not enough time. Um, when I was on the communications team, I was uh, uh, basically the air traffic controller for all of the communications uh, materials. Uh, things would come across my desk to triage. Um, you know, most nonprofits have a, a role like that, whether it's a project manager role or a coordinator role. Um, and uh, we used to have this, or I used to have this uh, uh, slogan uh, to describe the tension that um, kind of was my everyday reality, uh, trying to get uh, these designs uh, done and out the door. Um, I, I used to call it this thing called taxation without representation, where as a communications team, uh, you know, people would be coming to us, uh, you know, oftentimes just really desperate for some simple, straightforward, beautiful collateral uh, to assist them with their fundraising or programs or events. Um, and a lot of times we would have to say things like, you know, you're not allowed to create this stuff on your own because if you do, it'll be off brand and inconsistent. Yep. But we also don't have any time to help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was the tension. That was kind of our everyday. Uh, uh, we got more design requests um, than we could ever as an in-house agency or even with our agency partners uh, ever hope to be able to complete um yeah and and so that that was just kind of a everyday everyday struggle and i was just trying to kind of solve my own problem selfishly so what is what is then sawa do because i'm with you we've uh i've seen that that issue over and over again and been at nonprofits where the tension of that frustration of hey don't do that on your own but we can't do it for you you know and it's hard to let somebody own something so how does how is sawa solving that problem yeah so sawa solves that problem by um 
being a virtual graphic designer that designs beautiful uh, designs uh, for the user. Um, but the key there is not only does it do it for you and deliver fully completed beautiful designs, but it, it only ever generates designs that follow brand guidelines. Um, right. So that's kind of the, the, the tension that we're trying to solve. You know, there's kind of two camps. You, you want the, there's the program fundraising side that wants agility. Um, and there's the side that wants brand conformity and, and professionalism in the materials. And so Sawa seeks to kind of bring those two together. That's great. Oh, I love it. I love what you're doing. I love that it comes out of this sort of real world experience working within nonprofits. Anybody that's been around nonprofits has, has felt that tension before. And, and either you end up with a very slow moving fundraising and development side that just can't get new assets out, or you end up with an organization that has marketing assets all over the place that are so far off brand and so far off messaging that it's just a hot mess. So I, like I love that it's coming from a place of you've sort of been there in the weeds dealing with the issue. Mm. So let, let's back up a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved in sort of the nonprofit fundraising communication marketing world to begin with and kind of how that evolved. Yeah. Um, I, I'm originally from Mountain View, California. And that's like an hour South of San Francisco. Um, I used to not describe where it was. I'm very, um, have a lot of pride in my hometown. I just expect everyone to know where I, I what California, California cities are, are what. Yeah. Um, well, Google has helped with that one, by the way. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, ethnocentrism, ethnocentricism going on, however yeah. you pronounce that. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, you know, started out uh, doing a, a startup in my late teens um, in, Silicon Valley. I mean, if you're 19 and you haven't started a startup yet, you're kind of a failure. Uh, so I, I gave, I tried my hand and that, uh, it didn't work out so well. You know, surprise, surprise, 19 years old. You didn't, I didn't know how to start a company, but, um, I, um, uh, had a, a personal, uh, you know, faith experience and, uh, that really was the catalyst for feeling a, a calling towards, um, wanting my work to go towards, uh, the charitable, um, a charitable end. Um, it's not necessarily needs to be the case for everybody, but for my, for me, that was important. Um, and so I just kind of started searching for that right fit. I started out with a, a, a manager position at Goodwill Industries in San Francisco. Um, I worked for two years uh, at my local church uh, in a faith-based nonprofit um, and just didn't really find my niche until um, a friend of mine uh, invited me to a benefit dinner at Inter uh, International Justice Mission in the city. And I was just blown away by how IJM brought the two things together of doing excellent, loving work, but also being really professional and efficient at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes and this is a stereotype and this is not always true, but sometimes it just feels like when you're in the nonprofit world, you kind of have to choose between being a do-gooder and doing things, you know, producing things with excellence. Um, 
And I just don't think that's true. It doesn't have to be that way. I think, you know, you guys are a great example of that in your software, but, and, and how that, that, that conversation is shifting away from that. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, but that's kind of how I got into the, the nonprofit space. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. And, and, and obviously I think everybody has that feeling about IGM when they first visit. It's like th these guys are really smart for real. They do things with excellence at the same time. They're, there's no lack of doing good in the world. And so uh, hmm. that's great. So to talk to me a little bit about your role at IJM's kind of once you got started there, I, I said your title was marketing traffic manager. And I think that's the, the, the right title, but sounds completely made up. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd love to hear you connect that to what you, you were actually doing there. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, it, it was funny because like I had never heard of that title before either. And, for an organization that combats human trafficking and the word traffic to be in my title, it was just all really confusing, but um, yeah, marketing traffic manager is essentially, I was essentially the air traffic controller for all the projects. And um, you know, I, I took on the role having never done a position like that before. I mean, I found out later that this is like a whole career path of, you know, you have, uh, internal clients, fundraisers, program managers, you have that camp, you have all the people who do the work, the designers, the coders, the copywriters. Um, and then on occasion you have a third camp like marketing professionals, uh, strategists. And then I guess this career is just kind of the person in between all three of those, <laughs> um, who needs to make the capacity work, who needs to make the process painless, um, and basically needs to prevent um, processes and bottleneck from hampering revenue and growth for the organization. Um, so that that was kind of what that role was about. And I took it, you know, I'm a communications background originally, and I took it with a lot of enthusiasm because I had heard, you know, that this was a big, pain point for IJM. You know, you hear about their stories, they're doing so so much good, um, you know, doing engaging in so much rescue and structural transformation overseas. Um, but in reality, not in reality, but, you know, one of the pain points was that you have all these program teams who are ready to hit their goals and they felt kind of like they're running in molasses because they don't have the, the creative resources and collateral to to kind of um, uh, give them the momentum that they would like to have. Um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, that, that was my capacity, processes and uh, capacity and uh, helping to get things done and out the door. So, I mean, I think th this is really where the rubber hits the road for our listeners right here is that I think everybody's felt that pain. Um, I don't think that pain is unique to IGM. IGM grew fast, and so maybe the pain was a little bit more amplified. But mm -hmm. um, that that role of sort of connecting marketing or even development design to the actual mission in a way where capacities are aligned, priorities are set right, it's it's always hard and it's always mm -hmm. painful. So I'd love to hear you talk about things you did at IGM, kind of your you know your top five list or whatever it is of, of um, things that you put in place there that, that righted the ship or that made 
made it more efficient? Because I think I really think our listeners are going to be able to sort of grab onto those as handles and apply them at their own orgs. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think the first thing that I would say just right out the gate is that if you are experiencing this pain, you know, even if you're experiencing it acutely, yep. um, this is not an indication that you're doing necessarily anything wrong. Um, it's kind of like catching a cold. It's just part of being a part of the pain of the organization of, of any organization really, but especially a nonprofit organization. Like it just comes with the territory. It's a naturally occurring tension and pain. Mm. Um, you know, and, and in a very organic way, and I, and I say this very genuinely, not, not just to try to find talking points or whatever about this new project I have, but in a very genuine from the heart way, that's why I pursued Sawa because everything that I did at IJM, I feel like made a difference and made progress, but it doesn't, it didn't get at the, the root of the problem. Um, so, uh, and I'll circle back to that later, but you know, some of the things that, that we did to, uh, or that I did at IJM to, to kind of mitigate and, and, uh, soothe that very naturally occurring tension um, was improve processes um, that ultimately led to improved capacity. Um, and so some of the examples of that, um, you know, were we, um, uh, I rolled out a new, uh, entirely new project management software um, but along with that software um, came a, a process for project planning yep. and for project execution. Um, and so, for example, project planning needed to be a certain amount of time in advance. It needed to inc include uh, these, you know, creative briefs that have been thought out and approved by, by the client and the, um, and the creative team. Um, we actually, you know, the processes allowed us to start doing these things we call creative um, concept presentations, where uh, after we got the, the logistics of a project down, we would, before we did anything, before we even started, we would just kick off with this creative concept presentation where our creative team was allowed to uh, present two, three, four different design or creative options. Uh, for the problem that this client is requesting our work to help with. Um, and just allowing the space for that, like it was so energizing to the client to be able to see multiple options and be a part of that creative process and say, you know, I, I kind of want to move in a direction of uh, a part like halfway option A and uh, option C. And for our team as well, you know, they weren't um, – uh, dress dressmakers anymore. They were designers. They could uh, have the time to, you know, get the creative juices flowing and really put their best foot forward. And it, it did, it did really well for, you know, employee satisfaction and, and retention. And um, so, I mean, there's a long list of those things, you know, we've, I, I rolled out a digital asset library um, so that people could easily access um, really key, uh, visuals that um, were compelling. Um, 
you know, there's a, a number of things. I'll let you kind of guide the conversations if you want me to keep going. But there was just a lot of those um, process elements that created space and pl- and and planning and kind of ironed out those kind of day to day pain points. Yeah, the the two things. Um, uh, well, one in particular that. Um, that I was never able to figure out. And to this day, I haven't quite figured out. I'd love to hear you talk to it is, is your fast track request system. So uh, inevitably in nonprofits, there will actually be urgent things that need to be turned around quickly. And so Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem is the, on one side of the fence, the people that are maybe trying to raise money to everything, everything is an urgent thing that needs to be turned around quickly. Mm-hmm. And then to the design and development team, nothing's actually that urgent. Everything has to go through a normal process, right? But it's the, the reality is somewhere in the middle there where there are a handful of things that are actually urgent and they do need a fast turnaround. So how do you determine which ones are actually urgent? And then how do you execute on those as a design development team without completely derailing what you're doing? And I know you put a, a place, a system in place like that at IGM. I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there was the, a shell for this type of plan already when I arrived, um, but we kind of fleshed it out. Um, we had this uh, uh, inbox called Fast Track, yep. where we committed to a three day, three business day turnaround. Um, but it had very clear uh, stipulations for what is a fast track, okay. and and I think. Um, you know, not only is it important to be very clear about what those are in the process, but also you kind of just need to enforce it for a couple of weeks really firmly. And then it kind of just smooths out from there. (laughs) Um, But a fast track would be, you know, we would, we would define it not in terms of how fast it would take or whether we thought it was easy or whether they thought it was easy. It was a very concrete, um, the definition so it would be it would be categorized by a media fast track or a, a design fast track or a development fast track and it would be for example um i need you to pull this file or it's a date change on an event flyer and it was done in um you know adobe and they don't have adobe or they or they and, they, and even if they did they wouldn't know how to export it into a a a format that's that's great for the printer um you know the those types of things you know hey we had this this asset from four years ago i need you to pull it from the database for me um uh, you know those types of things that are uh straightforward not necessarily based on you know whoever's perception because a lot of times people you know, will come to you as you know and they'll say hey this is super easy when in reality it's not so it's yeah really clearly defined communicated and, the, and those, these are things that we would hand out make sure everyone pinned them to their everybody's cubicle <laughs> um this is what a, a fast track is uh you know this is when you would and you know i think it's also worth mentioning that for the non-fos fast track projects um i built uh very very specific schedules for every single project that was on the roadmap and the roadmap was detailed like a year in advance. And I had a lot of help with this. Obviously, it wasn't just me, but the, the roadmap was built a year in advance. And then we would use the fast track to kind of plug the um, of the cracks along the way. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. It makes a ton of sense. And I think 
one important lesson there is is when you do build out your roadmap or your plan, it's it's leaving enough margin. It's kind of admitting to yourself and your team, look, some stuff is going to come up unexpected. You know, in IJM's case, it's like, you know, we just rescued, you know, we're part of a rescue of of you know twenty people out of a brothel. IJM played a key role. We need to let our donors know in an email right away. Well, okay, mm-hmm. that wasn't on the roadmap, and so you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of admitting those things will come up and leaving margin. I really like that idea. Yeah. And, and you know, even with this system, it, it wasn't, you know, foolproof. Cause it, it, what if you have something come up that isn't necessarily a fast track, but it, it has a high payout. And, and so you kind of, and, and it might need to push something else out of the roadmap. Um, so our leaders were really great about that. You know, things like, that when they would come up it would be decided in the leadership they would get together the vps would discuss what the priority should be and then they would and then they would bring that down to kind of the the manager and the coordinator level um and 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 that's really them serving us well so that we're not having to battle it out at you know at at the execution level and, and trying to decide you know well what's more important a government relations uh, bill that's coming through uh, or this, you know, new high worth individual who's throwing a cheese and wine party for all of his friends. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that leadership support is really key in, in allowing that to trickle down so that we can do our job. That's great. And, and not everybody has that, but man, when, when it works all the way to the top, it, it's, it's a huge blessing. So let's, Let's transition here. I kind of want to hear you talk a little bit more uh, about Sawa as you guys have tried to solve this problem of, you know, how do you equip, you know, theoretically somebody in communications and development that just needs um, a quick, you know, Facebook ad or they just need something designed and Sawa is a thing in between that allows them to do that without having to do bespoke work from a designer. And it, it but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about some of the wins you've seen. Um, and some of the benefits you've seen uh, when when you do have something like that in place. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I I was working with a recently a um, a nonprofit in DC called uh, DV Leap, um, and I think that they are kind of um, I, I don't know. I, I I hesitate to say the quintessential most. Uh, uh, representative, you know, of the, of, of the most common type of nonprofit right now. Um, you know, they say like the, the, the average church is, you know, 50 people. Um, I, I think that they were kind of the poster child for the, for a lot of the nonprofits out there. Um, I was doing some, some, some work for them and uh, they do uh, free legal help for victims of domestic violence uh, when the lower court has ruled against them unfairly. Um, and so this was a organization that was coming up on their 15 year anniversary. Uh, it was a very small team. Everyone wore, wore multiple hats. Everyone's running a million miles an hour and the work that they're doing in the field is excellent. Um, but the communication side hasn't kept up just because of how busy they are and, um, and all those things. And so now they're kind of, we got to tell our story. We got to increase fundraising. Um, you know, we have to kind of, uh, put, you know, put 
put money in the piggy bank of our, of our brand. Um, and so with the budget that they had, I was kind of helping them kind of, uh, you know, get going with the rebrand and a, and, and a first version of a website. Um, but there was just so much more that they needed to engage their members. And so one, you know, I told them about Sawa and this was in beta mode. We weren't even really selling it yet. Um, and they were able to take Sawa. They were really excited that um, Sawa created the designs for you, right? I mean, that, number one, that's one thing that I noticed is that no matter how simple of a design tool you create, it ultimately it ends up as another to-do list on somebody's plate. Yep. Um, what people really need, in my opinion, is something that takes genuinely takes something off somebody's plate. They need somebody to help them do something, not another tool to learn to do another thing on their on their to do list. If that makes sense, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that they were really excited about that. They had they they have one kind of part time intern admin type person who really loved their mission came in for a couple of hours, and just with her giving her Sawa, she was able to create an entire design bank on their new website for people to basically a catalog where people can just people who support them or like them can grab design assets from them and share them with their friends on social media, uh, beautiful uh, blog designs, uh, beautiful email header designs, um, you know, any kind of uh, any, any digital size that they would need for an event, evite, classy, uh, you know, you name it, Eventbrite, you know, whatever design they needed, they could just pull it all out of this kind of toolkit library. Um, and they were able to get all, the, you know, create all those designs in like a day or two with their part-time admin. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and so that, that was kind of, I, I think, kind of uh, really encouraging for me and my team as well, just to kind of see our theory kind of work out in, in the way that we had hoped. And that's great. I, I love that. I mean, it, the other thing it does, I actually like design agencies. Design agencies are great. But when you have something like that in place, it allows you to use your design agencies for actual like greenfield design work and not just mm -hmm. sort of production. So now you're not overpaying for this production work with long lead times. You let your design agency do what they do best, which is, you know, from scratch bespoke design and then you leave everything mm -hmm. else, the production stuff to tool and you just get stuff done. So, and I love it. I think it's great. Um, well, is uh, Sawa.com, is that where we can kind of find out more or what's the URL? Uh, MySawa.com. Okay. Um, yeah. MySawa.com. You can learn a little bit more and, and um, you know, start using it, try it, use it for free. Um, you know, download some designs, see how you like it. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, and I think just, you know, quickly, I think your last point is a good one to make. Um, you know, Sawa is for simple, straightforward designs. Um, we, you know, I started this uh, Sawa with a graphic designer, a friend of mine. We don't really believe that a, a software can ever replace a real graphic designer. <laughs> Um, yep. that's not our goal. Um, but it, it allows the creative team to just kind of drill down and do the, 
do the kind of work that they would eventually put in their portfolio. That's kind of the, how I would describe it. Um, yeah. I, I love that concept and I, I think it's spot on and there's a massive need for it. So really excited about it. So, Hey, we, we usually spend the last couple of seconds here just kind of with a, a lightning round, uh, of <laughs> questions just to kind of st- see how you stay sane. Somebody that's involved in the nonprofit space, but it's also an entrepreneur. It's always mm-hmm. interesting to hear kind of what you're listening to and how you stay sane. So I'm just going to hit you with a few quick questions. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. All right. So, so first one is, um, how do you kind of stave off burnout? Um, I know you're going a million miles an hour. You got a kiddo, you're running all over the place. So what do you do to kind of stay sane? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say the most consistent, like joy in my life is just spending time with my daughter. She's 17 months. And, um, I, you know, basically every break I take is just trying to make her laugh and, um, you know, taking her around the house and teasing my family members with her and (laughs) trying, trying to get other people to laugh, trying to get her to hit people with things, things like that. (laughs) (laughs) That, that's basically, that's basically where my free time goes. That's great. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. First hour of every day. How do you kick your day off every day? Yeah. Yeah. If, if the morning goes to plan, I start out by, uh, I read two books. I, I read the Bible and then I, I read, um, uh, imitation of Christ. Uh, that has been, um, it's been a lifesaver for me in the mornings. Uh, usually my first inclination when I wake up is I want to go to my smartphone and I want to think about all the things that I didn't finish yesterday and, and, and how I can screw up the least <laughs> amount this today and, and just kind of fail forward and keep going. And so that's, that's been my way to just kind of align my perspective uh, every morning that uh, that's not where my value is, is tied in. And that's great. I, the, um, one of the things I've seen, and I know this is true of me, is you just get in the thick of things and you roll right over in bed and you pick up your phone and you're, you hit your inbox, right? And so then immediately your stress level um, goes to 11. You have no time to just kind of stand back and get perspective. And so I think the more you can sort of set down your phone, get a 10,000 foot view, remember what's really important in life. That's, I love that as a concept, especially first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, okay. Uh, what are some of your favorite, I don't know if you're a podcast guy, but what are some of your favorite podcasts? What are you, what's the top book that you read in the last year? Um, what's kind of your go-to content consu- consumption stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, to be honest, most of my content consumption is, uh, faith-based, um, it's just been a crazy season. Uh, the last couple of years, I started Sawa almost three years ago and uh, doing the startup, uh, doing the agency, serving nonprofits at the same time, uh, having a child moving. Um, so just really trying to stay grounded. So um, I really love uh, listening to John Piper uh, podcasts or videos, uh, Tim Keller podcast videos, um, 
uh, on the kind of business side, I, I like listening to Paul Graham. He's a uh, founder of Y Combinator, uh, which is a, a startup um, uh, incubator. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, and, the, and the last thing, actually, the, the majority of my media consumption has been uh, watching Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood with my daughter <laughs> on, uh, on Amazon. Amazon, there's a lot, of, a lot of good life lessons in that, too. <laughs> man that's that's fantastic i think your life is a lot like my life in a lot of ways so i'm reading a lot of like you know faith-based stuff and nonprofit-based stuff and then i read a lot of the startups so like paul graham and, and that kind of or listen to podcasts but then yes the majority of my time is, is spent in you know daniel tiger's neighborhood or paw patrol or whatever it is that's yes we're watching that day and so yeah. And Dan, Daniel Tiger's, uh, this has nothing to do with the podcast totally off. <laughs> I grew up with Mr. Rogers. And, and so Daniel Tiger's neighborhood is just an extension of Mr. Rogers. And so it just feels so familiar to me anyway, that I got, I got no problem sitting on the couch with a three-year-old watching that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I got all defensive. The first time I saw it, I was like, Oh my gosh, they are totally ripping off Mr. Rogers. And then I found out it's the same company. So I, I guess that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Hey, um, thank you so much, Francis. It's been a joy to chat with you for a little while. Uh, love your insights. I think you're tapping into some really important problems here that we've seen over and over again at nonprofits. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk a little bit with us. Yeah. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Gabe. Yeah, absolutely. To learn more or to subscribe to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser podcast, visit virtuouscrm.com.